Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. It's time to look back at this year, this extraordinary year. I I guess all years are extraordinary in Chicago politics and government in Illinois because it's the best news town in the world. And with me are two of the best people to talk about it. Two of my colleagues who I absolutely admire, Dave McKinney of WBEZ, formerly the Sun-Times, and Tina Fondelis of our paper, uh, the political writer and reporter. And uh, thank goodness that she's back with us again. Guys, thanks so much for joining us to look back on this year. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Fran. When I look at this year, I think first, and I have to think first, of the Highland Park Parade Massacre. It was breathtaking, not just because I lived near there and I went to that parade and could have been there myself, and knew some of the people, but also because of the the peace and tranquility and celebration that it destroyed. What do you think? Is this the biggest story of the year, Dave? You you know what I I come I, when I come on a show like this I I just my my head automatically kind of wraps around politics. But you are 100% correct. That far and away is the is the biggest story in Illinois for 2022. And it's just horrible. I mean, you know, the loss of life so senselessly, there's no point to it. And, and, you know, it, it reminds me of the the NIU uh, massacre, you know, 15 years ago, it was the same thing. And these things just keep happening and happening. And I think what you know, it, it's it's disturbing on the front end when we have this shocking jolt to our systems where people are dying on the streets of a July 4th parade, for God's sake. But what what's jolting on the back end of it is when we just all sort of collectively, you know, settle back into our lives as if nothing happened. And, and you know, we just kind of move on. And that, that moving on part, of course, is what, you know, did become kind of a, you know, it became a political issue in the governor's race because th- those were the very words of Darren Bailey, the Republican candidate for governor, on the day of the shooting, and and you know I, I just think that 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 um, you know I, I don't I don't know what the answer is, but it's in the hands of our of our uh, state and federal elected officials to do something, and I don't know what doing something involves, but something this this is not normal, and and that that's I I just it's it's just it's horrible. 
And Tina, you have written with Frank Mayen about this incredible gun package that uh, State Representative Bob Morgan is championing. Is there a chance that the landscape, the political landscape that has prevented this kind of thing and the geopolitics of it, that that will change enough to make a difference and get this thing through Springfield, an assault weapons ban? Yes, I do think it's possible. I do think that Pritzker has the most might he's ever had um, with the, with two Democratic supermajorities. Um, you do see some of these, most of these gun groups saying that they, they want this passed. I don't know if it will be exactly what it is. There might still be some tinkering. You know, the Senate has, this is a House bill, the Senate bill, the senators can do whatever they want to it, little things that they might want to add or take out. I was surprised that they had the FOID changing the age of the Floyd in there um, because that has been controversial. That has been fought in years past, but it seems like they do have the political headwinds to try to do this. So this is probably the best timing that they have right now. And we have to say that this Robert Cremo, who is accused of the of the massacre uh, in Highland Park, the the state did not cover itself in glory here. The the uh, the safeguards that were in in place did not work this time. The father was able to vouch for him, even though they had the police knew him, had been to the house. He had threatened he uh, his parents. He had knives. Uh, the state has some loopholes to correct even before any new legislation. Right, Dave? Well, that is true. That is true. But but, you know, from law enforcement's per- perspective on on things like this, I mean, they're just, you know, they're they're inundated on all sides, and I think, uh, y- you know, I I would not be surprised if there is sort of a culture within, you know, within a, a, a de- department where you know you look to Springfield, you look to Washington, and you just see this kind of dysfunctional inertia, and and does some of that kind of influence. What goes on, you know, in in your police department? I mean, not that it's deliberate, but is it a priority? And and I think that's that's a question. You know, Fran, one one point about Highland Park that I I, I was going through uh, some of the legislation you were talking about just just a moment ago, and Representative Morgan has a, a very innocuous resolution uh, in the hopper as well, honoring um, you, you know honoring the first responders, honoring the victims. In, in Highland Park. And I was looking at the the witness slips for that. And I have to tell you, I was just utterly floored that in in a in a for a resolution that is is just commonplace, you know, when these types of things happen, there were more than 300 people who identified themselves as opponents to to honoring victims of a slaughter. And and it just it, it's like, what who, who are these people? I don't understand. How? Why? Exactly. I mean, some of them, you know, you, you know, anybody at this stage in time, I mean, that these witness slips that get entered, you know, can, you know, they can be like, there's no, no vetting of them. But a lot of these people describe themselves as law abiding gun owners. And it's like, you know, if you're a law abiding gun owner, shouldn't you be repulsed by what happened here? That's that's the reality of where we're at here. And 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 it's it, you know, when we see this kind of stuff happening, it no longer to my way of thinking as someone who grew up around guns downstate where we're, we're deer hunting and, and all of that is so popular. It's not a Second Amendment issue anymore. This is this is a uh, th- this is this is this is a, a, 
you know, when you, when you lose friends and, and spouses and grandchildren and, and people on at a July 4th parade, it's more than a second amendment issue. Now I have to move. I, I can't move on from this topic without talking about the related one. And that is violent crime in Chicago and the fear of it. Carjackings, vehicle robberies, strong armed robberies on a nightly basis, drag racing and drifting, taking over intersections, shootings and homicides down a little bit but still up 30 to 40 percent over what it was when Mayor Lightfoot took office and said it was unacceptable and vowed to fix it. This this is the number one issue in the mayor's race and the number one impediment to Chicago making a full comeback. The McDonald's CEO said so. He got a snide response from Mayor Lightfoot. Tina, what do you think about this? Uh, I think it's horrible. I think that we still don't see a solution or I have not heard a great solution from the mayoral candidates. We did not see a great solution from the gubernatorial candidates. It's just like what we were talking about with the assault weapons ban. And what is the solution? What is the right thing to do? Um, There's so many factors. But I do think we are seeing I mean, my theory is just that, you know, stemming from the pandemic, we had all these societal and economic problems and desperation. And, and we're seeing this in other cities as well. Um, it is really difficult for a politician to say, I'm going to make this better. When they make that claim, we always know it's not going to happen because they don't have the control. They don't have the solutions. I don't know if that's a super pessimistic view to have over crime, um, but it, it, it is every day. And as we were talking about Highland Park, actually, I was thinking um, the mass shootings in Chicago all year, like there was so many mass shootings in Chicago that were part of political fodder, but particularly there was the Halloween shooting. I think it was like 14 people shot in East Garfield Park, including three kids. I mean, it was astounding. So we're not just seeing like the one mass events. We're seeing these mass shootings all the time. And a mayor who presides over a city in fear be reelected, Dave. <laughs> you know, that. <laughs> It's a very good question. It depends who the it depends what the alternative is, doesn't it? I mean, we we see this all the time. How strong, how strong is the 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 challenger, and does the does the opposition to the incumbent splinter? And and here, you know, there there she has a number of rivals. I mean, you would have to think that her main rival would be Chewy Garcia, um, but but yet, you know, I haven't seen a, a real clear plan from either candidate or any of the candidates for that matter to to really address this and you know it has to start with um you, you know beefing up the, the the law enforcement response to this i mean we're the, the city is down headcount and you would know this better than me fran but but 1700 down- officers are down and they are retiring faster than the city can hire their replacements they don't feel they have the backing of city hall they are running for the hills they are transferring to other suburban departments out of state departments fire department leaving the whole profession you can't really blame them. How do you win back their support and their morale? It's 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 a, it's more than a rhetorical question you're asking. I mean that that to me is ground zero of this whole discussion because, you know, when when criminals are going into neighborhoods and knowing that they're they're not likely to run into a police patrol because there's there's just not enough people doing it. Well, th- then it's just it's the Wild West and, and it will it'll be that way until there is a response. And and I think that that's an issue. And, you know, you you go up the the, the food chain a little bit. You know, you have to have a, an aggressive state's attorney. You have to have an aggressive court system in, in addressing this. But again, I think until you have a deterrent of of uh, 
you know, a, a strong police department that has the means to patrol streets, you're going to have this problem. All right, let's move on to the indictment of Michael Madigan. I mean, this this is breathtaking in itself. We never thought we would see this day. Everybody thought he was so careful. He peels his apples before he eats them. I mean, this is not a guy. He doesn't talk on cell phones. Everybody thought he would never be caught. And yet he has been indicted. And it's not just the ComEd scandal that is accusing him where where his cronies got jobs and contracts allegedly for doing nothing to win his favor for legislation that was very, very important and lucrative to the company. But AT&T, Tina, how did you did you did you think you'd ever see a day like this, even after he left the legislature? No. And that's how we knew that he was taking this seriously. I mean, I think before he just exactly as you said, like he just thought that he was so careful that this would never happen. And that's what we all thought as well. When he did step down, you know, kind of thinking, okay, he, he thinks he's in trouble. But the actual day, the actual day, I did not believe it at all. Uh, I remember just being glued to everything that was coming out about that. And people are still fascinated by it, um, by what happened, how he tripped up. Um, It's going to be really interesting to see. And no, I don't think anyone anticipated this. Mike McClain still hasn't flipped on Madigan, probably never will. He's Mr. Loyal. Uh, Dave, you are a Springfield person. You covered that place forever. You know Mike Madigan. What about you? Do you th- did you think you'd ever see this day? And do you think they're going to get a conviction? Well, I don't think, you know, we, we have not seen juries over time be particularly sympathetic to, um, you know, political corruption cases. I mean, you just have to look back at the prosecutions of Rod Blagojevich and George Ryan and on and on and on. Everybody in this, you know, not everybody, but but, you know, a, a notable number of, of, of city council members. So jurors are are not sympathetic. I think I, I think what one of the issues with with Madigan and his his orbit was, was that they had reached this point where, you know, there there had been efforts earlier where where the feds were sniffing around in their operation and and, you know, they had kind of this almost sort of bulletproof mentality up until I would say, you know, the, the Elena Hampton sexual harassment uh, issue became public. Then they, that that was the beginning of the of the drip, drip, drip. And but they, they had this kind of uh, sense that that they were impenetrable. Nobody could touch them. And and when when anybody, especially in public life, has that kind of attitude, I think it 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 honestly it makes them mistake prone because yeah uh, you know they they then they then start making decisions that maybe are not as careful and prudent as they should be. And I think that's in in large part what happened here. This was careless. And and you know Madigan Madigan had a myth about him about this you know so careful and and meticulous thing. He's a human being. And and we we all kind of forgot that. And and human beings, of course, have 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 for forever fallen victim to the same kind of base things of greed and vanity and all of those things that you know where where people can you know commit these types of crimes, get convicted, go to prison, and then the next person is standing in line ready to do the same thing. And that that that's just. You know, he, he Madigan of all people should have known by looking at all of the people around him that he knew that he created 
who wound up in in federal prison jumpsuits. Yeah. And Mike McLean made some of the most most damaging statements, Tina, in some of these emails where he refers to him as himself. And he makes some rather, uh, you know, difficult statements that Madigan is going to have to explain in these emails. Were you surprised by that? He was supposed to be careful, too. I guess not. Yeah, he was not careful at all. It was very to me, it it read like very mob like. Like, we yeah. have to please our godfather and this himself is, and all that yes, stuff. Yes. All these terms. I mean, I think that's part like the, some of the most fascinating stuff that we've seen so far has been from McLean and watching the system and see that like system trickle down, just as Dave said, to these other people. You know, like he's trained basically generations of people. Um, and so even if he is convicted, it's it'll be really interested to see how this system trickles down in the future. Here's another blow me away story for Chicago that we thought we would never see. The conviction of a daily in federal court, Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson, the nephew of Chicago's longest serving mayor, the grandson of the second longest serving mayor, convicted in a bank fraud scheme. He's already out of prison, I guess, and in a halfway house. What do you think, Dave? Did you ever think you would see that day? Well, you know, again, it's the same kind of uh, situation as Madigan, isn't it? Where where the Daly family had had had, you know, they had this bronze coating about them. They could just kind of, you know, they 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 were mythic. And what we see time and again are these people are not mythic. They're 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 they they are mistake prone. And and certainly in this case, this was uh, a a. a a situation where, uh, you know, he was hanging around with the wrong people, taking money he shouldn't have taken, and and it caught up with him. And and it's it's a blemish on the, you know, yet another blemish on the legacy of uh, the Daly family. And and you know you, you know the the, the fine reporting that the Sun Times did, uh, led by Tim Novak and Chris Fusco and Carol Marine, um, you know, a few years ago, and into the Koshman case, you know, a blemish like that that the Dailies. Uh, the dailies have to atone, you know, at some point in time for this. And, it, and it's uh, it's catching up with them. I remember Richard M. Daly telling city clerk Jim Lasky, who also went to prison, that he needed to have, quote, buffers. And what does that mean? That means someone else to take the fall for you, have deniability, have people around you do the dirty work so you don't have to. And I guess that couldn't work in a banking in a banking situation. Let's also now we've got to move on to Governor Pritzker, easily reelected after spending tens of millions of dollars to handpick his opponent. Will that catapult him, that landslide into a race for president or now that it appears President Biden may in fact run again? Is he stuck in Illinois, Tina? Hey, stuck in Illinois is not a bad thing. (laughs) I don't mean it that way. I'm being facetious. (laughs) I do think he has aspirations. Um, I do believe, as you said, he will not run if Biden runs. He would be a really interesting primary candidate if Biden does not run. I think he's just working this as if let's see what happens. I guess it is possible that Biden won't run, even though he said he he will run. There's a lot of things going on in Illinois. You know, we have a chance at the DNC potentially. There are he, he has been going to the White House a lot. Um, he has he's in this little group of governors now that Biden is talking to regularly, maybe more so than before. 
So he's in a good spot for whatever. He's young. He's in his 50s. He has a future ahead of him. Um, and obviously, Illinois voters would probably be a little ticked off if he he we, he deserted us for a presidential run. But if that's what he wants, that's what he's going to do. Dave, how do you read the governor's race and the governor's reelection and what it means for his future? Well, I mean, you know, there still is a pathway to Washington if if Biden runs and and wins re-election for J.B. Pritzker. I mean, he, you know, it's a pretty commonplace for you know governors of both parties to wind up in the cabinets of of uh, of presidents. And you know, for for someone like Pritzker, could a a position like a commerce secretary or treasury secretary or something like that. Could that be appealing to him? I don't know, but, but, you know, he could do that. But on the flip side, he also uh, is a student of history. I mean, he could, he could seek to, you know, uh, kind of mimic the, the, the path that uh, James Thompson had in Illinois, where he, he had, uh, I believe four terms uh, as governor. Um, and, and, you know, you can do a lot of good in Springfield for a lot of people. And, and Pritzker, I think, is, is uh, approaching it that way. But, uh, you know, the, the thing about the election that is just, you know, it, it, it j- just when you think the Republican Party can't sink any farther, they managed to find a way in Illinois. And that is the is one of the subplots of this 2022 election cycle, because, you know, the the party uh, tried to kind of embody the, the the values of Donald Trump, and Donald Trump just doesn't sell in Illinois. I mean, he he uh, he he's lost every election he's run in Illinois uh, pretty soundly, and the, the 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 party the the Republican Party in Illinois has no bench. They you know we saw it when uh, Jim Durkin, the House Minority Leader, stepped down from legislative leadership. You know he he. He fit the mold of what Republicans in Illinois used to be, a Republican, a moderate, fiscally conservative, socially moderate from the suburbs. And the fact that that uh, the Republican Party now seems to be centered primarily downstate and and, uh, seems really built around trying to run campaigns on culture war issues. I don't think they're going to they're not going to prevail in Illinois until they can kind of set that strategy aside. I mean, they've. The, the elections should be like lessons to the parties that lose. Like, what did we do wrong? And until they get that kind of soul searching, the Republican Party is going to be adrift in Illinois, I'm afraid, for a long time because they have to find a way to appeal to moderate suburban voters. The collar counties are where elections in Illinois, statewide elections get decided. And we should say that if Pritzker makes a move to Washington, that the political resurrection of Alexei Danulius as now Secretary of State of Illinois, uh, he's he's chomping at the butt and wetting in the wings as a, a governor to be in the future, I'm sure. We have to talk about the retirement of indicted alderman Ed Burke and the mass exodus from the city council of Chicago. 15 aldermen either retired already or not running for reelection. Did you ever think, Tina, that Ed Burke would not uh, leave in a pine box, a jury box or a ballot box, but rather choose to walk out of his remapped ward minus his most favorable precincts and walk away from this job and this power that he loves so very much. 
No. And I remember the day we're waiting for the board of elections to, to get the signatures or waiting, waiting to like the last potential second, like, is he going to file at 459? How is this over? <laughs> That's what I thought that day, like there's going to be some sort of surprise. Um, but you, you know, you've written before that um, after his wife retired as Supreme court justice, that we kind of thought this might be happening. Um, it will be so interesting to hear, you know, what he thinks about this and it, you know, if he thinks he's wrongfully accused or what he's planning to do with his days not in city council. But it's going to be such a huge, huge, huge adjustment for him, as you said, the longest serving alderman. I did not anticipate this. It is added to the list of crazy things that happened this year, like Mike Madigan getting indicted. The saddest thing is that Ed Burke is not talking because his lawyers don't want him to. And he's got so many stories so that he's going to. Go to his grave with or maybe he'll write a book because he's written others about the wigwam and, uh, you know, various other Chicago political history things. But what a shame. The last time he talked about all this history was before the City Club of Chicago, where he celebrated his 50 years. What a shame that we can't have him on this show. I know we won't, but what a shame that he's going to walk away doing that uh, and take all those wonderful stories with him. We have to talk about some of these gigantic projects that are moving forward this year. The Bally's $1.7 billion casino in River West, the temporary casino at Medina Temple, the Thompson Center being sold to Google, a shot in the arm for a very still struggling central loop, attempts to reshape the LaSalle Street corridor. Uh, what are your thoughts, Dave, about these mega projects? Oh, of course, in the Red Line South extension, which still needs federal money, but is going to get it. Uh, and after 30 some odd years of talking about it, we're finally maybe going to see it. Well, I mean, all of these a lot of these things you mentioned, Fran, uh, are, are central planks of uh, Lori Lightfoot's reelection campaign, aren't they? I mean, the idea that you know she had campaigned on on bringing a, bringing a casino to Chicago along with all the revenue that it's expected to generate. Uh, that was her biggest accomplishment in Springfield, getting lawmakers to approve that. Um, and, and really, the a, only you, accomplishment, actually, yes. she's had a very bad yeah. record in Springfield. Very, very true. And you know, this uh, this this uh, red line extension south has been on the book. It's been on the drawing board for a long time, but it would it would really uh, bring more mass more needed mass transit to an area that that you know historically has not had the same kind of uh, ability, you know, the same access to it that other parts of the city have. So those are big things. I mean, I think the the big issue for Chicago though is. You know what? What does the what does post pandemic Chicago look like? And and how you know with, with so many people still kind of in this hybrid work mode and and uh, you know being you know being on the expressways into town on a on a work day and 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 not running into traffic and 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 the streets seat feeling empty and a lot of vacancy rates North Michigan Avenue of course. Um, what does this what does the city look like here with, uh, you know, what, how does it come back? I mean, those th these things that you mentioned will help. But I think there's still that central question of like what what, you know, how, how do we recover from this pandemic? And we have to talk also about the two year deal that Lori Lightfoot cut with NASCAR to take over the streets of Chicago on July 4th for two straight years. Is that going to come back and bite Chicago and her? Tina? It's very possible. I do think these events and these developments, like it's good to have her name attached to things that are going on that successfully. So I think that's why she's doing that. Or 
anything that you see in your neighborhood, you know, a project or affordable housing project or whatever is going on. Um, it's a good way for voters to see that she's doing something. So it, I don't know about the NASCAR situation. That's a different calculation. But in terms of the actual projects we're seeing in neighborhoods, I think that could be beneficial for her. And again, the Hail Mary to stave off a bear's move to Arlington Heights, offering to put a $2 billion lid on a renovated soldier field. Will that ever happen, Dave? I don't know. I it, I, I guess you're, you start to get old when you, you know, when you remember when when all the bears promises in Springfield that that uh, the, uh, the the spaceship in Soldier Field, as it used to be called, uh, would be the answer to all of their problems. Uh, and, and here we are. You think about this team and, uh, you know, to not have won a Super Bowl since 1985. It's like, what? I mean, why why don't they focus a little bit on the product on the field? And, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know. I, I think Arlington Heights has been talked about forever as a potential place for the bears. The Cubs have talked, had flirted with Arlington Heights and, and uh, you know, that, that racetrack there, uh, former racetrack. And, and so, it, but, but again, I, I don't know, you know, the, the idea, it, it, it feels like it's going to be a pretty chaotic period of time on this issue with the bears, because if, if soldier field uh, is vacated by the bears, then you have this gigantic historic and, and architecturally altered complex there. Well, what do you do with it? You've got concerts and a few things like that, but what do you do with it? So those are big challenges ahead for Lightfoot. As we wrap up, Tina, what is your prediction on the main event for me, which is the mayor's race? I think it's going to get really fun with the money, um, with Chewy Garcia and actually with Paul Vallis. I know he's not polling very well and typically has not, but just to see, like, I believe the conservatives and the business groups are backing him. So if that's what people think they need in this race, I think it'll be interesting to see how the, what the money war is like. So I'm interested to see what will happen with those two. What's your prediction for 2023, Dave? I don't know. I, I I I usually fail miserably when I try to predict these things, but but I think um, you know it's just again if if Lightfoot has more than one credible opponent, I think you have to go into into the into on a, into election day thinking that she would be the favorite because otherwise the, this this group that is opposed to her splinters and and I, I think that's the the danger that the opponents have to kind of figure out on their own you know do they really want to do, do they really ha- have the coordination to unseat her going against her is the setup that the runoff system somebody if she makes the runoff is going to get her in a one-on-one situation and then most of the antis tend to gravitate toward the challenger if she does not go into the runoff with 40% or more, the chances are she is likely to lose. Anyway, we could talk forever about the, what's all the things that go on every year in Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us, Dave McKinney of WBEZ, Tina Fondellis of our papers, The Sun-Times. Uh, we love your insight. We love uh, what you bring to the table on a daily basis. And we will see you all next year. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy everything to everyone. <music>